this is Jeff Kober, and we welcome you to this Disney at Work and Play podcast. We're here today to talk about the Main Street Confectionery and all the sweet going-ons that are happening there. The confectionery has always been a part of the Main Street USA experience in the Magic Kingdom at Walt Disney World. But it hasn't always been the same over the years. We begin 50 years ago with the original history of the store, compare it to other Magic Kingdom style parks, show how it has grown over the years, and how the new store just recently opened is remarkably different than the previous store. We promise at no time Smellitzers will be used to make you want to go out and consume sugar, but this is a sweet tribute to an important part of Main Street USA and at no time will we fudge any of it. <laughs> All right, well, we are glad you joined us for this podcast. And know that uh, an outline of the things we talked about in some of the photos and a video of the new store is available on our, um, on our posts at Disney at Work and Disney at Play. So check that out when you have a chance to do so. Let's talk about first the original roots of the Main Street Confectionery. Um, those roots, uh, well, um, the site was originally not what you see today or what you even saw a few years ago. The site was originally split into two stores. And originally with Walt Disney World, as was and still is a little bit with Disneyland, everything was kind of a you go in a store, you come out of store, you walk down the street, go into a store and come out of a store. It was sometime before things were connected. At that time, the corner store on the right, as you left Town Square and started heading down Main Street, was not the confectionery. It was the GAF Camera Center where they would sell batteries and film product and rent out cameras and so forth. The store next to it, right next to it, was the confectionery. So they actually occupied the same um, area, the same building, and it, the confectionery was just before the cinema as it is today. But it was a much smaller store and it's uh, in its original heyday. Now, that varies from... Disneyland's version, which is actually on the opposite side of the street. Um, when you when you go into a park, and I think I've mentioned this before, you tend to move in the direction in which you are either right or left-handed. So if you are looking for something, you tend to move toward the right. In this case, uh, in this case, the confectionery is on the right because you're they're thinking, oh, you probably want to get a sucker or some kind of um, a fudge or something to enjoy along your day at the Magic Kingdom. That's very different than Disneyland's version. Disneyland's version is on the other side of the street, and their expectation is that people who live very close nearby in the Los Angeles area are going to want to take a treat home with them. And so it occupies the opposite side of the street. I should also mention, by the way, that um, that uh, the Tokyo Disney version also occupies the right side of the street, but it is actually occupying what we traditionally think as the Emporium space. And I'm mentioning all this because every confectionery has a different purpose. 
For Magic Kingdom guests, it's having a treat while you're in the park. For Disneyland guests, it's having a treat as you leave the park. For Tokyo Disney guests, it's having a treat to, to take home and give to loved ones. That's why in that store, most of the goods there are in tins or highly packaged um, um, in highly packaged materials because they become a sort of gift that you give to someone as you as you go in. So it's a very it's always served a very different purpose depending on the audience that was in the park. In the 1980s, and by the way, there are very few, I did some research, there are very few photos, if any, of, of guests in the confectionery. There are There is one image of two children kind of looking through a window at some, some lollipops, but that's about it. Um, there really was never um, a big... There really wasn't much that was that was taken in terms of photos of that original confectionery. In the 1980s, when Epcot opened, Kodak became a sponsor and sponsored Journey to Imagination. That that removed GAF from the equation, and Kodak took over um, sponsorship of the Camera Center next door, and um, and then. Uh, Seize Candies actually took over the confectionery. Now, eventually, Kodak would take, there was um, a hospitality house. It was called the Hospitality House, and that's where the Walt Disney Story was, that what is now called the Town Square Theater. That was actually taken over um, in the 90s, I want to say, by Kodak. And that larger space became Kodak space in the 90s. And that's when the confectionery took over the entire corner right there as you enter down the main part of Main Street. At that, and in the 1980s, as Kodak um, was taking over and then eventually moving out, C's Candy took over the confectionery. Now, I kind of make a supposition that people know who C's Candies are. To me, they are the top, the premium, the best of the best in terms of chocolate-covered nuggets and candies and, and things of that, toffees and things of that nature. Seas Candies is really a Western uh, creation because it's from California. And I know it because, growing up because my aunt, um, or my mother's aunt, B would send a box of C's candies to us every Christmas. And we, and boy, that was the most coveted treat during Christmas time, was that white box of C's candy with the gold foil on top. Um, very, very popular. And probably some people have seen C's candies either in malls over the years, or perhaps they've seen C's candies as they have, um, been in airports. You could definitely see them in LAX's airports and so forth. But they were kind of the sponsor during that time. And if you read, there's a prescription in uh, the GAF guide. It speaks of chocolates, nuts, candy making, peanut brittle. And in fact, we actually read from the Birnbaum's guide as to what, um, as to what uh, the store was like. It's the most complete description that we have of the store. 
Here's what that description reads. C's delicious chocolates are available in this old-fashioned pink and white paradise. A delight at any time of day, but especially when the cooks in the shop glass-walled kitchen are pouring peanut brittle uh, onto a huge tabletop to cool, and the candy is sending up clouds of scent that you could swear worth, um, was being fanned right out into the street. Some 18 to 20 batches are made each day. The sweet product is for sale in small bags, along with pastels, jelly beans, marshmallow peanuts and nougats, mints and kisses, and dozens of other nemesis for a sweet tooth. When your stomach is growling, this is a good place to grab a snack presented by C's Candies. So you get an idea. There isn't a lot of description of the store itself other than it's pink and white and that there was a show kitchen. It appears that a show kitchen was always part of the confectionery experience on Main Street and uh, as it is at Disneyland as well. So those are what we know as original roots. As the site was made larger when Kodak took up the former Gulf Oil hospitality space, it, um, it became larger in space. It was adjacent to the chapeau. You remember the chapeau because it has that big um, hat box outside, which is styled or based on the hat box in Lady and Tramp. The, the, the father gives the mother uh, a hat box for Christmas and in it is Lady uh, as a gift for Christmas. Um, and access was made indoors during this time allowing guests to just simply go from one store to another. So you could begin back at the Chapeau. Um, monogramming was a big part of that space with lots of different hats for sale. Then you kind of move into the confectionery. Then you kind of move into an outdoor covered patio, which led to the cinema. And then you could, and then from there you moved into uh, the jewelry shop on the corner. So all these things were kind of brought indoors into kind of, they were all separated, but accessible um, via doors. You didn't have to go back out in the street and then back in. The interior at this time was done in pastels with sherbet colors of pink, lemon, and lime being the primary colors along with white. Um, the aesthetic was more, kind of more of a cheerful Willy Wonka style factory store. There was a show kitchen, prominently placed in the center. There were small inventions which were placed on shelves with descriptions relating to the process of creating confectionery goods. They were kind of made up kind of little conf inventions from what I could tell. Um, there was kind of this steampunk aesthetic of copper tubing, uh, which was added in a few corners with colorful liquid bubbles rising up. Um, one small corner section was dedicated to uh, handmade cotton candy. Still is. That's That section is still there today. Um, and a chain of metal and glass baskets carried candies on a conveyor belt around the room. I don't think that lived out its full life. It seemed like they ended that at some point. Um, it was actually a moving conveyor belt and then it was just a stationary conveyor belt and then I think it was just a taken out conveyor belt as I recall. There were bulk candy dispensers that were introduced during this time. Powdered candy was one of them. Jelly beans 
was another um, kind of candy. And the Goofy Candy Company kind of became its own. Goofy Candy Company is actually also a store at Disney Springs in the in the original marketplace area, but it also became kind of a brand for packaged candies and nut style products that were sold. And so you would find a lot of these products all throughout. And this was kind of introduced during the same period. By the way, all of this is rather interesting because at one point, Mars um, Chocolates was the sponsor of Star Tours. But it didn't seem to really bleed as much. I mean, they've always sold like Snicker bars and M&M candies at almost every store right near the register. But it never really took on the form that, it's, that I'm going to describe in a minute. I think the biggest thing about the store was that there was a winding queue of brass rails. And it eventually would lead to two glass cases. In there were all the handmade goods, the fudge, the uh, candied apples, the uh, Rice Krispie treats and so forth. And you would stand in line and then um, come to these glass cases, order what you want, and then move toward the end of the line where you would pay at two different cash registers. I mention this because this was probably the biggest problem. There were other registers around the room, but if you wanted those particular products, you had to come uh, in that line. And oftentimes people, the registers were waiting on people who still couldn't decide on what they wanted to order because they couldn't see what was in the glass case until they got right in front of it. And it was just kind of a, it was really a very slow moving process to actually get anything ordered. Very problematic. So, lo and behold, the store closed and a new confectionery premiered around the same time as the 50th anniversary of Walt Disney World. And let me tell you, this is an impressive store. This is probably one of the finest retail spaces I have seen created at Walt Disney World. First off, the shop has increased square footage and it did so by taking over the former chapeau. So selling hats and everything right there at the front of the park right there is no longer available. I don't know if they're not moving that over to the Town Square Theater, either in the lobby or into the store as you exit Mickey's. But in fact, actually, I do know. I do believe all of that has moved over to that space. Now I think about it because I did see the monogram um, uh, machines being moved over to that. So that's all gone to that area where you meet and greet with uh, Mickey and eventually with Tinkerbell. I don't think that has reopened with Tinkerbell yet. But anyway, that's going on over there with Mickey. Um, and they've taken over the former Chapeau store. And... Um, there's, there's a couple of downsides of it. For instance, there was always a party phone. Um, uh, what do you call it? Uh, a, yeah, an old-fashioned um, party line phone. You get on it and you would hear um, these different um, characters on Main Street talking about picking up a ham or having to pick up a brassiere or something of that nature. I believe you could still go, and I hope that it's still live, over at the fire station. 
but it's no longer there. And I don't know why they took it out. I think that should have been kept in. But, but notwithstanding, it's still done in a lot of woods, very similar woods to what was before. Um, and there are old-fashioned photos of the founders, the people who actually built M&M, or Mars, and by the way, a beloved horse that was known as Snickers. These are portraits that you find on the wall. The chocolates over here are more of their formal line. They're more traditional. And then what they also have is this um, popcorn kernel kitchen is what they call it. It's a popcorn mix bar. You don't, you don't make your own popcorn. The popcorn's already made, but they take the popcorn, you can add drizzles and you can add mixes like M&Ms into it. It's a very cool little, little station. And it is own, its own little space. Now, let me just tell you something about how space is, is fashioned at Disney. When you move from one retail location to the next, you change themes and you generally change from what is a more masculine tone to a more feminine tone to a more masculine tone. And so this old confectionery space, the old uh, chapeau, still has that masculine, more masculine tone to it. Then you move to confectionery, which always was a feminine space in terms of lighter, brighter um, pastels, things of that nature. And then you move into the Main Street Cinema, which is darker colors and so forth. When you get to Pandora, or the back of the jewelry, they set that apart in the back by making it very bright and very light and very different than the front part of the jewelry store. That way you know there's something different and interesting back there you want to check out. But they put it back there so they wouldn't have so many people uh, standing around because they really want just to select people who are interested in Pandora jewelry to, to be in that space. So <clears throat> that color combination is still happening throughout all of this. Um, well, a larger square footage is the so showcase store with beautiful inlaid marble um, in the center of it, uh, a beautiful uh, chandelier above it in the center, brass railings, blue bunting. It suggests maybe an event which is showcasing home confectioners across the nation in an event called the Sweetest Spoon. As a segue from what... Um, was the chapeau, which is now this Colonel Kitchen, and the larger confectionery um, uh, store that you you know is actually um, a showcase kitchen. They're, they've had a showcase kitchen in the previous one, but it was sort of centered to just that store, and there were vict um, there were glass panels um, that were. Uh, with brass bars kind of holding up the the glass panels and with um, with etching around the side um, it was a very pretty looking kind of thing what they have done is they've changed that and that showcase kitchen still resides but now it's more of a segue between the kettle kitchen and the grander showcase store um, like the disneyland confectionery this time it's been completely glass enclosed so um, I maybe that's a safety nutritional I don't know kind of thing, but um, but notwithstanding, you could still it's still a big glass case. You could look in. They're still doing things. It's a bigger space for them to do things in. So that's very cool. And they have uh, cleanup um, spaces and so forth. It's very functional, as well as a great way to see candy 
being made, whether that's a uh, a rice crispy goodie or a caramel um, apple or something of that nature. And that resides in that newer location, segueing, separating the two spaces out. There are two sets of counters. Both are circular in their design. They're kind of semi-circular in their design. The first is out front, and it showcases products and goods for sale. Again, the Rice Krispie, the fudge, and all that. And it's a much broader counter than the two, um, than what were the two um, glass counters before. This is much broader. Guests can come up to it. They can order from there. They're given a slip where they are then um, sent to the second counter. This has really done a lot of good to separate um, the, the, uh, the decision of what you get from the purchasing experience. Because what was happening is, again, in the old design, the people were waiting on other people in order to get their goods to, to um, purchase at the, uh, at the, at the uh, cash register. So, so they have now separated these two out. And, and what's interesting, are, there are these kind of gold rings in front of the first counter and it almost suggests where guests stand. It's a very, um, it, it's a very, uh, uh, it doesn't say here's where you stand, but it almost leads you as to where you should go and where you should stand and where you should order. So that is brilliant in and of its own, in its own right. But then, you then take the slip and go to the second counter. The second counter is also circular, uh, semi-circular, and this is a much bigger counter. And this really allows uh, people who want to go, and I, I bought something, I picked something up, all the cash registers are here, and they can go get in line to go, go make their purchase right there at the second counter. Um, the second circular counter uh, ha seems to have a lot more cash registers than the previous uh, space did in the confectionery. Um, and what makes this even more intriguing is that they have added mobile ordering. So you can now order the treat you want and then go and pick it up at the second counter. So you don't have to wait on others trying to figure out what they want. You can make that purchase. You just go, show them your mobile order, and you can just then go ahead and pick it up. And let me tell you, this is especially helpful. If I can make a suggestion, when you are waiting for the fireworks and you're the kind of person who likes to go pick up some, some confectionery treat after the fireworks, May I suggest put your order in while you're waiting for the fireworks, decide what you want, purchase it, and then all you have to do is go in and pick it up at the end. And it's, it's just brilliant. Moreover, in the process of all this, and especially because Mars Candies, Mars has become the official sponsor of this, uh, it, it, um, it allows you to um, order some new treats that haven't been ordered before. And it, by the way, also allows you to order treats that um, are traditional in many ways. Um, 
such as a Twix bar or an M&M's and so forth. And there's um, even a, uh, a display case of these original candies and their stories and things about them that you, you may not have uh, been aware of as to their, um, their origin story as candies. By the way, there is an origin story as to who the proprietor of the Main Street Confectionery is. We find the answer on the wall as a gold frame holds an article from the opening of the new confectionery as outlined in the Main Street Gazette. The article, written by Scoop Sanderson, a columnist for the Gazette and formerly one of the citizens of Main Street, his article harkens back to Thomas and Kitty McCrum. Jim Corkins has written about this, and you can uh, see the link for it in your uh, firstvisit.net. But this actually, this backstory actually goes back to the last version of the confectionery. It ha turns out that Kevin Neary, an Imagineer, uh, in 1998 came um, came up with an interesting concept for the redesign of the location. And the story was finished by show writer Sean Slater. If you have been up and down Main Street, you'll know that there are lots of hints or suggestions dating back to the Chicago World's Fair of 1893. Why is that important? Because that is uh, the fair that provided employment to Walt Disney's father, Elias. He moved from Florida, yeah, Florida, in central Florida, no less, to Chicago in 1890 and found work as a carpenter for a dollar a day with the Columbian Exposition or the Chicago World's Fair. You can still see um, photos of this when you are um, in the um, crystal shop. Uh, the um, confectionery shop on Main Street referenced that as well with a poster. And um, and remember I talked about some mechanical devices that used to be on the store. Well, they harken back to a story of Thomas and Kitty McCrum. Now, if you've heard that story, have you heard that name of Thomas McCrum, that actually dates to a local dentist. That, well, when Walt Disney was in a, in a tough situation in 1922 and was at risk of losing his first animation studios, uh, Laughograms, a local dentist in the area, Dr. Thomas McCrum, came to his rescue. He agreed to pay Walt Disney $500 to make a short live film about how bad things would happen to young people if they didn't take good care of their teeth. And the result was a little film called Tommy Tucker's Tooth. It was Walt's first educational film, it also helped pay off some of his debts and it led to the production of the um, Alice shorts. They took this character and ironically, it's a dentist who is running a candy store on Main Street. They added his wife, Kitty McCrum. And, uh, and they note that in fact, um, Thomas McCrum in this kind of fictional backstory was never one for resting on his laurels. He was also always looking for new and exciting ways to improve his business and on a fateful trip to Chicago for the world's Columbian Exposition of 1893, McCrum visited the machinery hall and was mesmerized by mechanical machinations on display. Upon returning home, 
McCrum set out to duplicate what he had seen, applying wondrous new inventions to the creation of chocolate and other delicacies. And um, from there, that's how we got to the previous confectionery, which had this kind of, again, kind of um, Willy Wonka factory, uh, plus these uh, mechanical prototypes that sat on the shelves and so forth. Well, in this story of the um, uh, Main Street Gazette, Scoop Sanderson harkens back to this same uh same Thomas McCrum and Kitty McCrum. And in his story, he talks about um, the, uh, well, I'll just read it to you. Quote, yesterday marked the official groundbreaking for the forthcoming expansion of Main Street Confectionery development, thanks to, in no small part, to the equally groundbreaking chocolate innovations of local treat makers Mars. It is their creation, the Milky Way Chocolate Bar, and the immediate and consistently overwhelming crowds it has drawn to Main Street Confectionery that has made today possible. Together, it forms an inspiring story, though as Kitty McCrum, co-proprietor of Main Street Confectionery, sees it, it's one to be expected in Main Street USA. Quote, we're a community, and nowhere is that truer than our little confectionery. Neighbors supporting neighbors shopping at other neighbors' stores. It's sweet. End of quote. Now I'm going to just stop there and notice that we're talking about community. We're talking about people coming together, helping each other out. That's going to be important to the next story we're going to share. But let's finish this article by Scoop. Joining the mayor as participants in Town Square. Yeah, you remember the mayor, uh, who is also a citizen of Main Street. Joining the mayor's participants in the town square ceremony was both Kitty and her husband, Dr. Thomas McCrum, who had the distinct honor and privilege of temporarily and carefully wielding the Mars Candy Company's renowned Sweet Spoon. On behalf of themselves and the Mars Company, the McCrums celebrated with and thanked citizens of Main Street for the overwhelming response to the Milky Way bar that made the new chapter of chocolate possible. The building expansion set to be completed in autumn, in the autumn, will extend from the confectionery's current location on the east end of Town Square with all the way west to Main Street, spanning the entire width of the block and further north to adjacent Main Street Cinema. The article apparently goes on to say the new furnishings will include, and this is continue on page four, but we don't have page four. We just have this little piece of the article. Now, what's the sweet spoon thing? Of course, Mars is the official sponsor of the store. We talked about that earlier. And in that role, and in, as the confectionery has been rebuilt, it was decided to showcase a slightly more diverse story than just the citizens of Main Street, such as Scoop or Thomas McCrum and Kitty. And so you read on signage as you come into the store mars proudly presents the sweetest spoon featuring the finest home confectioners in the nation who's the sweetest of them all a diverse story is told of the following showcase winners and we have photos of each of or not photos i'm sorry drawings they are not photos they're not like um a starbucks where you see um kind of pictures of people who are supposedly part of that uh, facility. Rather, we have these kind of caricature drawings. The first is Agata Kaminsky, 
from Chicago, Illinois. Few things fill this free-spirited music teacher with greater joy than sharing Polish jelly donuts with her students who nominated her to the Sweetest Spoon Showcase. And then in a quotation, parents complain about her paksi because there is not enough for them. Those are the donuts, the, the Polish jelly donuts um, that are usually filled. Um, that was from Martin Wright, the school principal. So let me just give you a hint of what's going on here. They have created six individuals who are part of the Sweetest Spoon competition or showcase. And, and that's why you see all the blue bunting and ribbons. It's because we're celebrating um, these wonderful people from across the nation. And in the effort of doing this, we have brought in a much more diverse set of people who compose um, the story here at the main story at the Main Street Confectionery. The next person is Willie Anderson from Tulsa, Oklahoma. Hobbies are Willie Anderson's hobby. Lucky for him, his parents' bookstore contains all he needs to know about his potential pastimes. Treating taste buds to the tastiest pound cake in town is his latest obsession. Quote, if my Williams nose isn't in the book, his hand's on the spoon, or a hammer, or a guitar, or who knows. End of quote, Edith Anderson, mother. The next individual is Toshi Hayakawa from Main Street, USA. Now this is interesting. Everybody else is somewhere else in the United States. Toshi comes from Main Street, USA. And it says Toshi doesn't just bake, he puts out flames. As a Main Street firefighter, he turns up the heat on his greatest possession in the firehouse kitchen, perfecting his family's 300-year-old rice cake recipe. And then in quotes, Toshi's mochi are great to grab and go, and I can grab a lot. End of quote. Um, and that quotation comes from Chief Smokey Miller. You'll recall that he was part of the Citizens of Main Street, um, a robust individual who headed up the, uh, the fire uh, engine that uh, went up and down the street of Main Street. And again, um, you see images and captions of all this. The next individual is Sonia Sanchez from Brooklyn, New York. Sonia's kitchen provides her Puerto Rican neighborhood sweet tastes of the Caribbean. Crowds line up into the streets to purchase uh, quests sprinkled with La Senora's signature cinnamon sugar. Quote, her baking cooks up traffic jams, end of quote. Officer Nadia Sanchez, granddaughter. Then we have Dr. Asumse Tabor, Blackfeet Nation, Montana. Dr. Tabor's gigs are fruitful introductions to indigenous cuisine. Graduate students join the esteemed professor's paleontology trips to learn from the best and taste her famous fruit leather, the ideal food for field work. Quote, when you're digging up bones, nothing's better than snacks that stick to them. Kimi Roth, research assistant. And then finally, we have Saul Fitz from Beulah, Maine. If you remember, beautiful Beulah is the town in th that was made famous by a Walt Disney 1963 um, Haley Mills film. And in fact, actually, Osh Popham, who um, was the head shopkeeper 
in that film is no, is seen as the proprietor of the Emporium across the street. You can actually see that on glass as you go into uh, to the store. We could talk a lot about um, um, that film. Uh, so Saul is from that town, a town tailor of great renown. Saul fits his fashions, impeccably fitted suits and trousers by day, and finds relief from exacting work by night, baking and noshing on chocolate regala. In sweetness, there is no calm. And then a quotation, I'm glad he unwinds by baking, so I can unwind by eating. End of quote. Gary Henderson, partner. So these are those honored during this Sweetest Spoon Showcase. And they help to create a slightly more diverse portfolio of people who fill the streets of Main Street USA and fill that period of Victorian time. And so um, building upon the McCrum story from the last version of the story, story, we see that they have actually created this secondary story honoring these people. Um, and it's all part of Disney's effort to build out a more diverse, equitable, and inclusive environment where people feel like a part of them is in that, can be found in, on the streets and lands of the Magic Kingdom. Well, any rate, I think that gives you an idea of how all of these things have come together to create the new Main Street Confectionery, whether it is uh, great concoctions that are available from um, mobile ordering to the new uh, popcorn uh, corner um, to the, all of the new look to its layout, uh, everything and these stories of diversity inclusion all of this creates for an, a pretty impressive experience. And let me just tell you, if for no other reason, this redesign, if you want to get to the bottom line, this redesign has done an amazing job of increasing sales in that shop. I dare say they may be selling four to five times the amount of merchandise than they sold prior. When you've added mobile order, when you've added counters, when you created a process that isn't backed up, how many times I was thinking of getting something, but the line was so long to get it. Then eh, forget it, you know, or I got something simpler and less, um, less of a treat. They have really done a tremendous job of really redesigning this space and making it something that guests love. And I would invite you, next time you are in the Magic Kingdom, dedicate some time. I know you're not going to do it when you walk into the park because you're going to want to go on that face first attraction, Seven Dwarfs, Mine Rider, whatever it may be. But take some time later in the day and check out this store because it really is an amazing showcase of architecture, of story, of retail. It is worthy of anybody's, any individual study. That does it for this Disney at Work and Play podcast. We hope that you've gleaned something new as we've talked about the confectionery. Know that you can learn new things as you join the Wayfinder Society. This is our Patreon page, whereas for as little as a dollar, you can have access 
to really tremendous insights and nuances and details that you can and isn't disney just about the details don't you love to really kind of get into it well from pirates of the caribbean to world-class uh, business practices at disneyland to uh, a lengthy expose on pirates of the caribbean we've got all sorts of resources come check it out you can actually when you go to the site actually visit uh, a couple of complimentary um experiences that kind of give you an overview of what you'll get when you join uh, the wayfinder society so check it out and in the meantime we hope you have a terrific day remember always follow the compass of your heart no matter where you are have a great day we will see you real soon